The following podcast is sponsored by you. If you'd like to donate to help us continue providing the best VCU men's basketball podcast out there, please use the link in the show notes for this episode. Proceeds from your donations will be used to pay for hosting fees, which are the most expensive ongoing part of providing this show. Thank you in advance, and go Rams! Welcome to Rams Rewind, a podcast that looks back at all of the action from VCU men's basketball. In this special off-season edition, host George Templeton reviews what's been happening since the last time the Rams hit the court. And now, here's George. All right, welcome back to Rams Rewind. We are continuing a little bit of a break from our newcomer series to do a roster update. Uh, I'm on my, my other subjects that we're going to discuss. First and foremost, if you like what you hear, and you want to help us out, there is a link in the description to the PayPal on Podbeat, on the other podcast platforms that we are on. We appreciate all the donations you gave us last year. We appreciate all the support uh, you're giving us this year. Uh, and I'm going to keep on doing this podcast for you. And thank you for supporting us. Now here to talk about not just the VCU roster, but a plethora of other topics is our good friend from the Richmond Tide Dispatch. Of course, that is the Parasite with what was from. He's Zach Joaquin, and he's joining us here. And thank you, Zach, for joining us. Welcome back to Ray Free George, what's up, man? I always love coming on and, and appreciate you having me on and love talking some VCU basketball. All right, before we get to our main topic, the roster, there is a couple of other things that Zach uh, has written up that were really good in the in the Richmond Times Dispatch and on Richmond.com that we want to discuss. The first one was this interesting little item that, uh, you know, it's one of those things that that you, you almost miss it. If you don't read it carefully, you almost missed it. And it's the fact that this story he broke last week in our new coach's contract, Ryan Odom, there is a clause that if VCU were to move to a different conference, then everything, including his salary, would be subject to a review and a possible improvement of that. That certainly set uh, the social media in my sphere. That cer- certainly set everybody chattering and tittering about Oh, does this really mean we're going to move and all this other stuff? And normally I would meditate it, but there are hot and heavy rumors about Connecticut leaving the Big East. And if they wanted to have one public university in there to fill that slot, VCU could be that public university. No football with baseball, et cetera, so on and so forth. So is that you just, you know, what kind of a, did you get a real big reaction with that piece at all? And does any of that, you know, scan to you as a possibility? Well, first off, thank you for the kind words on on the articles, man. I appreciate that a great deal. And I and you said that I broke this, and I I appreciate that language. But I re- I found out about it from having my ear, you know, to the VCU Twitter sphere and to the forums on Ram Nation and stuff like this. Fans were talking about this, um, kind of bubbling under the surface before I wrote the article. So I wasn't the first one to it. It's it's really right there in Ryan's contract, right? It's in the very it's in number one term. It's the first article there, and it's language that stood out because it hasn't been there in past VCU coaches' contracts. It wasn't in Mike's contract, and it wasn't in coaches before him's contracts. Um, and I'll read the statement from Ed here, because I reached out to VCU, and here's what Ed McLaughlin had to say about it. Given the rapidly changing landscape in college athletics, including conference affiliation, it has become necessary for all parties involved to address this issue when hiring new coaches in order to assure them that VCU's commitment to providing the resources necessary to win championships will remain strong regardless of future circumstances. So 
the way that Ed puts it, this is something that is more common in contracts across the country right now because of the conference mobility that we're seeing. I mean, you just saw Oklahoma and Texas with the Big 12, everything that's going on with the Big 10 and USC and UCLA and everything. And it's it's all over the place and the mobility has really increased. And so this, a lot of athletic administrations feel like they have to prepare for this possibility, even if they don't think that their programs are going to jump conferences imminently. But as you said, I mean, there's a lot of rumblings this week that UConn to the Big 12 might be happening imminently, if not today in the coming days. Um, and VCU would make a lot of sense. St. Louis and Dayton are obviously the other schools that have been thrown out there as possibilities for the A-10 to Big East jump. Uh, a, a historic nugget that somebody reached out to me about earlier this week, too, that's really interesting. The old East Coast Athletic Conference Tournament. I believe it was called in the late 70s. It was kind of E-T-A-T, a Eastern College Athletic Conference. Yes, it was a, a precursor to the Big East and VCU played in that tournament. And so with a lot of the schools that eventually became the old Big East before the Big East reformed and everything. Um, and so there's some history there. VCU has those ties. It certainly makes sense from a geographic standpoint. Obviously, um, it would VCU would be the only school in Virginia. It would be the largest school in the Big East. But with UConn leaving, it seems a slot that makes a lot of sense. Um, the obvious reservation is that the Big East has largely been made up of private Catholic institutions over the years, right? Villanova, for me, is always the first one that that comes to mind. And so BC would be anomalous in that regard. But I think given conference mobility these days, the Big East has to be realistic about you can't just pick out private Catholic institutions on the East Coast. That's not going to fly. It's not going to continue um, the, the conference can't just be solely made up of that moving forward or else I think they're going to fall behind competitively. Um, and so adding a school like BC would make a lot of sense. Um, I've heard people talk about John Thompson for some reason being really opposed to it and that there's some animosity perhaps that goes back to those late 70s and BC who played Georgetown. I don't know a whole lot about that, but I've heard people whispering that maybe he's kind of would kind of block that move um, because there's some longstanding animosity there. I'm not sure exactly from where that stems, but I thought that was interesting. Um, I don't think it's either or between BCU and St. Louis and Dayton either, right? If UConn leaves and the Big East is down to 10 schools. So I don't, it doesn't make logical sense to me that they would say they can only let one in. I think it could be two, perhaps all three. Um, Xavier and Butler faced a $2 million um, exit fee when they left um, back in, I think it was 2012. Um, mm-hmm. And that was without giving advance notice. And so certainly, you know, but more than a decade later, I think the the numbers as far as a penalty would be larger than that. Um, and obviously we've seen this stuff with JMU comes to mind, right? With conference tournaments and them leaving for football. And so there's a lot of worry there about what the penalties might be, whether VCU might be ineligible for conference tournaments for a little bit if this happens. Um, I think it's a real possibility though. And I think that them ed and and bcu athletics administration putting this in ryan's contract is certainly them setting the stage and preparing for this possibility um for a jump to be there because i think it it was interesting to me you you, everyone remembers all the language that mike rhodes used in his introductory press conference about it being a forever job for him um and that when he left was kind of part of why people were as upset as they were, right? Because he'd gotten a lot of rhetoric from Mike that he wanted to be here for the long haul. And then after a few years, he was gone. And Ryan did not give that same language. He, he didn't kind of give the lip service in his introductory press conference, which I appreciated. Um, I think it's no secret that perhaps Ryan's final destination would be a Wake Forest or a UVA. If one of those positions opened up, his dad was obviously an assistant at UVA for a long time. 
and the head coach at Wake Forest for a long time. Ryan is from North Carolina. But if VCU jumps to the Big East and there's language in there that, you know, they undergo a, a good faith review and his compensation significantly increases, then maybe that would keep him at VCU for an extended period of time. So I think that Ryan is smart and Ed is smart and they sat down and had contract negotiations and they discussed this possibility. And that's why that language is in there. Um, and it seems to me that in those conversations, it was probably thrown around as a real possibility in the coming years. And so I think this is definitely in play. I don't think it's a pipe dream. I think this could really happen in the next few years. And BCU would, would love to make that jump, obviously, for competitive and financial reasons. Uh, I will make two points before we move on to our next subject. One, we're going to refer back to this later in the pro program and everybody will understand why. Number two, let's remember, I think Mike Rhodes absolutely believed he was that, that that was the case when he started. I think he was 100% true. I didn't think he saw any scenario jumping up where that he could leave. Things change. Agreed. And, and we'll just leave it at that because we've already gone over that. We've already tread that. We've already trod that that territory. And, and, and I'm going there too, man. I, I liked Mike a lot. I liked Mike a lot. Mike was always very receptive and, and communicative with media and everything. Yeah. And I appreciated his persona a great deal. Um, I wish him all the best at Penn State. But, you know, I, I'm a VCU grad, man. My heart was hurt a little bit. And a lot of people's work. He was at Macon for so long. He had so many roots in the area. That's not an animosity toward Mike thing. That's a, you know, pulling at the heartstrings. VCU fans want that forever coach, that Mark Few. Right, and and people had hoped that that would be Mike based on the rhetoric there, and so it hurt a little bit. Yep. Let's get to the next story. This was wonderful. Talking about Alfonso Fats Phillips and everything that we kind of discussed before. You put in the story for him about you know his his staying and declaring that you know I'm not going anywhere. This is my town, and I will I will perform here. And then of course his role in trying to bring back all of his all of his team loaded teammates and other. And all the local stars back to DCU to transfer here, and Mike, you know, we're all we're all pulling for this kid. Obviously, we were all because of because of his local ties to begin with. But really, if he can have the kind of career that he's capable of these last three years, he may go down as one of the most one of the not the most popular VCU player ever. I think. Absolutely, um, I think it's easy to forget even a year removed from the fact because he got the medical red shirt last year. Um, and, and didn't get a chance to play a whole lot. He got his first bucket for VCU, but that was pretty much it. He only played in a couple games there and then had the hand injury that kept him out the rest of the year. This was a four-star top 100 recruit out of high school. So this summer, amid this mass exodus of, of, of VCU players and his teammates leaving left and right and the coaches that recruited him leaving, he could have gone to a number of top programs in the country. He could have gone Power 5. Like He had options. Um, and he probably had people you know, reaching out and throwing big NIL numbers at him and stuff like that. And he didn't take it um, because he wanted to stay home. Um, and that was part of his reason for coming to BCU in the first place. Um, he grew up in the East End, um, grew up in the in the Verina area. Um, and that community means a lot to him. And it raised him from a basketball standpoint. His three older brothers that, you know, he's been playing outside with since third grade. And I think that the we all clearly saw that flag planted over the summer, right? And the, I always remember on the morning of Ryan's introductory press conference, the the video the VCU basketball put out, it was fast dunking and then hanging from a rim and then turning around to the camera and saying, it's a great day to be a Ram, right? And that was when we were all kind of scared that, that Fats would be leaving. Because how much of a shame would that be for a local kid 
we were all so excited about to play a couple games in a VCU uniform, then get hurt and then leave. That would have been heartbreaking for mm-hmm. for the VCU community, for the local basketball community. That would have sucked, right? And so I think that Ryan, I think the VCU Athletics Administration, everyone made a point of telling Fats how much of a foundational part of this program they wanted him to be moving forward and that, that he they wanted him to be at the center and kind of the face of VCU basketball. And it seemed like that's what they were doing, right? With that proclamation on that morning of like, he wasn't saying explicitly yet that I'm staying, right? But it, it would have been for him for him to say it's a great day to be a Ram and then a week or so later to leave, that would have sucked too. And then obviously with the tweet a couple weeks later with him standing on the James River and, and the hands up and the 804 above him and everything, that the message rang loud and clear, I think is what I said in the story, right? We all understood at that point, what was going on, what Fats was trying to do, what VCU was trying to do. They kind of made him the poster child of moving into the Ryan Odom era. Um, And I think that with Mike taking as many assistants as he did, um, and with that departure from the Shaka Tree, they really felt an onus going into the Ryan Odom era to make a concerted effort to connect with VCU basketball roots and with Richmond roots. And that's part of bringing in Darius. That's part of bringing in Bradford. Ryan has talked about how important that is to him. Um, they talk a lot about the history of the program. Fats even said, you know, Darius and Bradford are telling all of us stories about VCU basketball past. And and they the the current players understand that those guys didn't have everything that they have. This, you know, gleaming palace that is the basketball development center and all of the infrastructure that's in place now at VCU, that was really built by past generations. And it took a lot of work over the years to get to that point. Um and I think that those guys are really imparting that wisdom and part of keeping that thread and and that connection with the local basketball community was keeping a kid like Fats um, that had such deep basketball roots in the area. Man, I don't know if you've ever over, been over to a, a practice at Verina or a game at Verina. That gym mm-hmm. is one of my favorites in the area. It's this you, there's it's standing room only. I mean, there's you know, you got people a foot or so from the sideline. I went there for the um, Verina Matoa. I think it was the region four B semifinal last year. And it was just a, it, it was a madhouse and I loved it so much. It's one of my favorite local basketball environments that I've been in. Um, and, and Coach Boom, Coach Kenneth Randolph over there runs a great program. Um, they won a state title this past year. Keep an eye on the name KJ Weich, by the way, who was mm-hmm. friends with Fats. And I asked Fats about the possibility of a reunion down the road. Um, and Fats said, you know, me and KJ are really close. We'd love to make it happen. Um, KJ was the uh, was the state player of the year for class four and first team all Metro led them to a state title and hit the game winner in their win over EC Glass at the Seagull Center. Um, he's going to be a rising senior at Verina this upcoming year, and I think that kid is special. Um, he's pretty short. If he you know if he had more height, then he would be getting I think power five looks right now with his production. That's the only thing that's been holding it back from a recruiting standpoint. But man, he's got a ton of heart, um, and he's a heck of a player. And he and Fats are close. And so those threads at Verida are really strong with Vats and everyone over there. And man, they they produce players with a specific type of grittiness and a mentality that I think really fits with VCU basketball, right? And so that's another reason why I think it was so important that Fats stayed is that they see him as a guy that already has the mentality that they want VCU basketball to be known as going forward. And I think the sky's the limit for him, man, um, from a from a skill set standpoint, he said that the biggest thing that he's working on right now is is being a better defender um, and, and understanding that aspect of the game. But man, he's got all of the tools. He's put on some weight too. He was a pretty lanky kid coming out of high school, right? And he's clearly been in the weight room um, and and putting on some muscle. Uh, he, he's six seven, I believe, one eighty. Um, 
and uh, and so has been has been putting on some pounds and some muscle in order to you know kind of put the defensive acumen more to use on the court um, and the offensive skill set is is really versatile and I can't wait to see what he accomplishes with a couple of seasons you know fully healthy under his belt hopefully and I think the last thing I'd say is I uh, Weldon Bradshaw who's a veteran reporter um, for us and a special correspondent for a long mm-hmm. time he interviewed Fats um, last year after a game and he brought his young uh, grandson Wyatt with him to the game and Wyatt was all excited about interviewing Fats and everything and Wyatt asked if he could ask Fats some questions with a reporter and kind of play reporter you know for a little bit and Fats Weldon said that Fats was like very accommodating and answered the questions and everything and then the next time when Weldon was there Wyatt wasn't with him Fats was like hey where's Wyatt at and Fats even talked about you know kids in the community will run up to him and want to take pictures and stuff like that and it seems like that connection means a lot to him um and obviously with you know, we haven't even touched on him bringing in the other local guys. He had a huge part in that. Him and Jason Nelson, in particular, are close. They Jason Nelson went from Verina to John Marshall, so they played together for a year at Verina before Jason Nelson went to John Marshall, and so that connection goes back. And then Fats and Rose um, are both products of Team Loaded, and Joe and Fats have never played together, but Joe is obviously in that community too with Team Loaded and everything. So, if Fats doesn't stay, then those guys don't come. I don't think. And this roster looks very different right now if Fats chooses to leave. And so him staying, his connections with the community, I think as we see the Ryan Odom era play out over the next few years, we're going to say, wow, that was one of the keys to shaping what we're going to know as VCU basketball for the years to come is Fats' decision to stay. Listening to that, two things came to mind. The first is the first time Fats Phillips' name is announced at the Seagull Center this upcoming season, whether he's starting or coming off the bench, that crowd's going to go ballistic. Yes, it which, is. That's going to be cool. I'm, gonna, I'm looking forward to hearing that pop. It'll be like really like what you hear at one of the big-time wrestling events at the Galaxy <laughs> or something. Everybody just goes up. The other thing, too, is you, the way you're talking about Fats Phillips makes me think of Briante Weber and how he was he was almost a totem of these, a powerful totem, the spirit animal, the symbol, the, the, the guy on the shield for VCU basketball in his time there. And because whenever he was on the floor, you you wouldn't see VCU. You know, VCU might be flagging a little, a little bit, struggling a little bit or something like that. And then he would do something and just jolt everybody awake and get everybody going again. And I kind of feel like that could be Fats Phillips. I mean, it's hard to do that when you're not starting, but that could be Fats Phillips. He could be that kind of a similar figure in this program. When, uh, when they won the state title a couple of years ago, his senior year, I, I always remember that at one point during the game, I think he hit a three and they were pulling that, that game was a blowout. They were pulling away from Loudoun County pretty, pretty early. Um, and Fats yelled and it was pretty audible on the floor. This is my city. Um, and I, I got that in the story because that's always stuck with me. Um, and it was pretty apparent to me at the time, you know, he'd already committed to VCU. And so he was playing on the floor that he knew would be his home soon. Um, and that thread, that connection has been really apparent and just how he carries himself. You know, I think that's a big part of Fats's personality and a big part of why he wanted to stay and exactly to have a local guy who can kind of carry the totem going forward for this program. I think that Ryan and, and, and everyone at BCU from coaches to administration loved that idea and wanted to keep that connection with the city through Fats and through the other local guys that they brought in. Um, I, I'm sure people have said to me, you know, back in the day, there were a ton of local kids who probably played for BCU. I, I don't know the history well enough to tell you 
in the 90s and the 80s, you know, how many local recruits those teams had. I imagine it was a lot. But in terms of recent VCU basketball memory, I this is the most that I remember. Um, and the, the, I think they've had for a couple decades. It's probably fair it's to say. It's right? 2011, that's for sure. Okay. Since it's the okay. Final Four run. And so that connection, I can't, I'm with you. I can't wait to hear what the Seagull Center sounds like when those guys are announced and specifically when Fats is announced because from what I'm hearing, there's a ton of excitement to be seeing local kids uh, in the black and gold. And, and, and I can't wait, man. The place is going to explode. All right, let's get to it about this roster. Since the last time we talked, they only had one scholarship open and we were speculating about maybe they'll just leave it open. We're not sure what they're going to do. Then Jacob Patrick, who had committed to VCU and was going to come, changed his mind and decided not to. So now they have two Ross, two scholarships open. First and foremost, how how much were they surprised or were they not surprised at all when he decided, when he changed his mind and decided not to come? And is it possible that actually may not be too bad for VCU in the sense that finding the minutes for him might have been tough? I think they weren't. They, they were surprised for sure. But okay. to answer the second question, I don't think it's a huge detriment to the roster as it exists right now. Ryan wants to play a shorter rotation. I don't think he's as big on the army concept that that Mike wanted to run, right? I think he wants to play nine guys pretty consistently and, and, and not have the minutes shared as much. And so I think that minutes certainly would have been hard for Jacob to come by early on, even though it would have been a nice piece to add with a really pure shooter that I don't think that this roster really has elsewhere as a guy that you can, you know, just have operate on the perimeter and be a catch and shoot guy. I think that's what Jacob would have been. But as an incoming freshman, you know, with with no experience playing on on the side of the Atlantic, I I think that it minutes would have been hard for him to come by. They were surprised, man. I I'd heard that, you know, there was I think a health concern with with a member of his family and that that was part of why Jacob wanted to go back. He got homesick. Obviously an enormous cultural adjustment to go from growing up in Germany and playing there for a long time um, to to Richmond and to the East Coast of the U.S., um, a new language and and everything. I'm not sure how good Jacob's English was, but that I'm sure that was an adjustment. Um, I went from a little private school in Virginia Beach to um, that had 12 people in my graduating eighth grade class to Maury High School um, in in Norfolk, but which is a class five school, um, and that was an enormous culture shock for me. It took me like a year to adjust. And so I can't imagine what it's like for Jacob going from Germany to the U.S. and trying to make that adjustment to VCU. Um, I think he got homesick, man. Um, and I know that Ryan and the staff was excited about his potential long term. Um, and I was really excited to write about him because he has some connections in the area. I think he has some family that had been to VCU games before. Um, his dad, John Patrick, is a, a, a journeyman coach who's really been all over the world. I believe coached in Japan and Germany for a long time. I think he's currently in Japan. And so I was excited to write about Jacob and to meet him and to learn more about him. I think the VCU program was really excited for what he could be long-term developmentally, but I don't think he was going to get a lot of minutes right off the bat. Um, and and they were certainly surprised when he wanted to go back, but I think they respect and understand the decision of a kid who's still really young and, and just got homesick um, you know, and, and and wanted to go back to a place he was more comfortable with. Moving forward, um, two open roster spots. I think that they had wanted to hang on to the one until later in the process to to maybe grab a grad transfer, you know, who, who jumped ship later from another program that they really liked, maybe a more experienced player who could contribute right off the bat. And I think that that might be the plan. 
going forward with one of those spots. But I do think they're kind of adjusting on the fly a little bit here because they obviously didn't plan on having two open. So I'm not sure what's going to happen with that other one. From a roster construction standpoint, I would be looking for a shooter, for a pure outside guy with some experience that is a catch-and-shoot guy. Um, I think Max is probably the best shooter on the team right now. But I, from what I, from my conversations with uh, with Matt Hart, the new analytics guy, um, who was obviously at uh, Utah State with Max and Sean, a lot of the offense might run through Max. Obviously, uh, a really great passer too. Um, they love him off the pick and roll in the center of the court, and for him to be able to make that decision, you know, with a guy coming up to to set a pick for him in the middle of the floor, and he can dish it, he can drive, he can pull up and shoot. Fats was uh, I asked Fats who had really stood out to him in terms of his new teammates in practice yet, and he said Max and Sean. Um, which makes sense, right? Guys that started all of the games for for Ryan last year and have a lot of experience in his system. They've been helping all the guys that are new to Ryan's system learn where they're supposed to be and learn the ins and outs of it. Um, Fats, this is an aside, but Fats was really excited about the offensive potential and the freedom in Ryan's system too. And that was another factor in him choosing to stay is what he heard from their staff about what Ryan wants to run offensively. Um, I think Fats' exact words where it's going to be a lot more exciting than last year. Um, that's not that's in no way a shot at Mike, but a lot of BCU fans, obviously, that was the rhetoric, right? Mike's teams were great defensively, blue collar guy, but it was frustrating from an offensive standpoint sometimes. And I think the players agreed with that. Um, at least some of them. They were they were sometimes frustrated by the offensive system. And so I think everyone is excited with what Ryan's system looks like. But to get back to the point about Jacob, I think a shooter, because a lot of the offense is gonna run through Max and he's not gonna be a catch and shoot guy. He's going to be shooting off the dribble and initiating the offense a lot of the time. And so if they could get a really pure shooter who just kind of wants to hang out on the perimeter, um, a David Shriver, you know, a uh, uh, comparison, obviously a piece that they lost last year that made some huge shots for VCU last year. I think that's the profile of player that that they'd be looking for, a grad transfer with some experience who can shoot it. Um, and and I'm not sure about that other spot. Jaron McAllister is, is gone, um, and I'm not sure what that other spot is going to be used for. But I think that Ryan, like I said, wants to play a bit of a shorter rotation. And I think that they like and and are not, they're not flying by the seat of their pants here. Like they're okay with having the mobility of a couple open roster spots and the flexibility to to make some decisions if a grad transfer, you know, comes open here in the next couple of months that they really like to go out and get him. So I, I'm not sure what that last roster spot looks like, but I don't think that they're freaking out right now. Like, oh gosh, we got to fill this spot. What are we going to do? I think they like having the flexibility um, that they've got right now after Jacob left, which was obviously a, a disappointment, but but they move forward and and now they've got flexibility to work with with those last couple spots. Okay, so, you know, it's, I guess it's one of those things we're just going to have to see. We may get a late ad, we may not. It's not the end of the world to go into a, to a, to a season with two roster with two roster spots open or two scholarships short because I, I don't know what the rules about rolling things over and stuff. And I'm imagining uh, that it's not going to be that terrible. I mean, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the roster, and it's a, I feel like it's a pretty good roster as of now, even without those players on it. Sam, no, same here. I I think they'll fill one of them. I don't think they'll go into the season with two open spots. I I think they'll fill one. I think they'll really look hard at the grad transfers out there. Maybe there's a guy. Wasn't it? Isn't Melvin Johnson? Someone had mentioned that to me. Kind of leave a program pretty late and end up at VCU. A, a guy like that, pretty yes. late in the process, who. You know, uh, it, maybe something happens in relationship-wise with a coaching staff late in the game, and and they end up deciding to leave. You know, not that long before the season, and I I think they like having the open spot to be able to go out and grab a piece like that because I think 
VCU is a really attractive destination for a player like that right now, right? There's a ton of intrigue, I think, with how this roster has been constructed um, and with Ryan's offensive system that it would make a lot of sense for a player who, you know, might kind of be having to make a snap decision after they decide to leave a program to go, oh, wow, there's a great opportunity for me here at VCU. The ceiling with this group and, and with Ryan's system is really high. All right, the lovely, that brings me to the last issue that I'm going to bring up briefly because, again, we spent a lot of time on it in the previous talk talking about the schedule. It's out now. No true road of games, which was a bit of a bit of an issue with me because that's not been typical. No Power 5 or Power 6 opponents outside of, them, uh, outside of the exempt tournament that they're in. Again, been a long time since that's been the case. You know, that's mul- multiple staffs going back have been able to get those games for us. Uh, this staff was not able to. The the explanation, what did you think of what Ryan Odom said on the coach's show about the fact that because, you know, getting the roster together was so important that it was harder to get. They were trying to get it, but they had barely asked 20 different schools and just couldn't make it work for whatever reason. What did you think of what he said on the coach's show about that and just your overall impressions of the schedule in general? I think that makes sense, man. And I've had kind of a more positive outlook on the schedule than that I think most people have. Um, I know, and well, I was told there were rumblings and conversations between VCU and UVA about playing, that there's mutual interest there. Um, the dates didn't match up and they couldn't make it happen. I really want that to happen. I know a lot of fans want that to happen. Obviously, Ryan had spent part of his childhood in Charlottesville when his dad was an assistant there and he has close ties with that program. And I, I'm drinking from a um, an ODU mug right now, which I know is blasphemous for a lot of VCU <laughs> But I grew up in Norfolk and my mom teaches at ODU. So give me a break, okay? And and Fats talked about his excitement to play Norfolk State, which I don't is I'm, for me is not a cupcake coming in here. They made the tournament in 21 and 22. It's a team that's won 20 plus games in in years past. And Fats loves the, you know, he's been he's grown up with the 757 versus 804 rivalry. Yep. Got a former high school teammate on Norfolk State. And so those connections there are cool. I think that this is a really new group that's gonna take some time to gel. And the friendly confines of the Siegel Center are are probably good for them um, to to have some gains against. I don't think this is a bunch of cupcakes coming in. It's some lesser competition for sure. But VCU in years past has excelled so much at scheduling those teams that you look at on the schedule at the beginning of the year and you go, who the heck is that? And why and why are we bringing them in? And then at the end of the year, it makes a lot of sense. Think St. Peter's a few years ago. They yes. played earlier in the year. We all went, who the heck is that? And then by the end of the year, they were the talk of the town. And so I think it's possible with a couple of these. Bradford is not a bad team. Seattle, um, Samford, Norfolk State. Um, I think these are all teams that have a chance to have really good seasons in their conferences. And by the end of the year, we're saying, you know, that's that's not a bad win to beat them by 10 points of the Siegel Center, you know, at, and, and so I know it's striking with no true road games. And that was, you know, my big takeaway when I looked at it at first, like, wow, they really don't have a test there. And we say they don't have a power five and, and other than the, the tournament in Orlando, it could be, however that tournament in Orlando shakes out, that could be three great games. And by the way, what is ESPN doing if BCU doesn't draw Penn State? I know we've all, <laughs> in the, the, the background there, like if we come away from that tournament without having played Penn State, then that's just a travesty. And an enormous, <laughs> as a journalist, I'm going to be so disappointed because I really want to write about that. Of course you do. My goodness, and and Mike and the assistants and Ace and Nick and I mean that's just going to be too much fun, right? I, ESPN is doing something wrong if they don't match those two teams up against each other somehow. 
Um, but they're guaranteed three games. Um, it's a few teams that made the tournament last year, right? Um, and and so you could really get some great resume boosting stuff out of that tournament. Um, I wish we were going to Brooklyn. I like Brooklyn a lot better than Orlando, but that's beside the point. Um, and Memphis, that's not a power five, but that's a that's resume wise, that's a power five. Um, with what they did last year, um, I think VCU is billing that as one of the more anticipated games in the 24 year history of the Siegel Center with Penny Hardaway coming in. That place is going to be electric for that game. I can't wait for that. Um, and and what I'd heard too is I think that between VCU and UVA, there was some the exams are shortly after that, and I think UVA wanted to play in that early December window. And Ryan didn't want to go Memphis UVA exams, which makes a lot of sense, right? To stack that all on the kids. And so BCU wanted to play in November and UVA had already had some filled updates and stuff like that. So they kicked the can down the road. I think that will happen in years to come. Um, but that Memphis game is an enormous resume boosting opportunity. And I don't think it's inconceivable for BCU to, I mean, one or two losses in this, right? In this, in this non-conference schedule between the games in Orlando and, and and Memphis coming in if they come away I mean yes that's a high bar to set and and with the opponents that you've scheduled here you don't have much wiggle room or room for error going into conference play you really need to like losing more than two games would be disappointing I think given this schedule I mean maybe you play people close in Orlando and lose two or three games there that's not the end of the world but I kind of like it from a, the standpoint of giving this new group a, tan- a chance to gel and get used to one another. I think we forget that this is an incredibly anomalous roster in terms of experience playing together. And a lot of guys that haven't played in the Seagull Center before, right? I mean, let them experience that environment. Let them kind of get the the support and the le- electricity that you get there under their belts and make them feel that support and, and some cohesion within the group. And then you get into conference play and, and, and play some tough road games and finally have that test down the road. Um, obviously, the caveat that comes to mind is, is the A-10 and the struggles that the conference has had in recent years with multiple bids. And that goes back to our conversation at the beginning of this with the Big East, right? That's obviously a big part of BCU considering jumping ship right now because this isn't the conference that they signed up for anymore. It's not. This was a, you know, a conference that was getting three, four, five bids, you know, when, 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 what was that, five, six years ago or so? And in, and in recent years, it's been one, maybe two. Um, and that's not what St. Louis State and, or, or VCU want in a conference. They need more opportunities to get resume-boosting wins to make the tournament in conference. And so that's why they're all thinking about leaving right now. And so when you see a schedule like this come out with no true road games and limited tests and non-conference play, it's obviously concerning because your margin for error is, is, is quite thin. Um, when you go into conference play and don't have a whole lot of opportunities to get great wins. But I think for a staff that is is getting used to you know, scheduling for BCU and, and, and I kind of had to adjust on the fly a little bit this summer with plans that were already in place and, and contracts like Memphis and Temple that BCU had already had and try to create their own moving forward. Um, I don't think it's bad. I think that it gives this team a good chance to to gel together and get some cohesion at the Siegel Center, which by the way, this is a total aside, but the video boards that I'm really excited about, man, they are huge. Um, and I was in there last week after I talked to Fats and we walked around a little bit and took photos and stuff of them and they're awesome. And the ribbon that now spans all the way around that used to just be under the Tommy J West club, it's it's now all the way around the arena. And so they're, they've got some, you know, the like it's gonna be like, I think the soccer ones that you see a well, lot of the, the, yes. with the yeah. rotating around the field, it's gonna be kind of like that. Um, you see different teams with like the American flag 
during the Star Spangled Banner that goes all the way around the arena. They're going to be able to do stuff like that. And they're going to be able to show in-game replays on the new video boards, which I'm super excited for. But that's an aside. The Seal Center is going to be awesome next year. Give this team a chance to play a lot of games in there um, and get used to one another. Winnable games, you know, that they should be able to to make some young mistakes at and still be able to pull out wins. Also, we haven't mentioned McNeese State. Will Will's not going to be on the sidelines, um, which is I did forget that I did forget that when I was talking about that with with Rocco Miller the other day. Is that's right? Will's serving his serving his suspension, so that's going to take that's going to take most of the heat out of it. Let's be honest. But the, I'm sure the uh, what the the group of guys there at the um at, at the baseline by the student center, I'm sure they'll still have the FBI suits and the, <laughs> and, the yeah. and everything. I, I hope that they continue and do that, even though Will's not going to be there on the sidelines. So when I saw that matchup, I said, "You got to be crazy to do that." <laughs> forgetting that he was forgetting that he knew he was getting suspended, so he knew he wasn't going to have to turn up. Which kind of is even more sticky, oily, whatever. They don't schedule that goal that he's not suspended, do they? They probably they wouldn't want to go in, into the snake pit. Yeah. Not a chance. He does not want to ever have to show his face here after no. the live side. But you mentioned it, and it's certainly the feeling I have. The A10 has got to do well this year. They've got to get multiple bids. They need to have a good season. Spent some time in the last pod. For those of you who are listening, who haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. We talked about the entire, you know, what we knew of the 810 schedule up to this point because not everybody's finished filling their schedule. There are a lot of opportunities for the 810s, for the teams in the 810. This has got to be a good year or there's or there's trouble on the horizon for this conference because there is. I think yeah. you're right. I think St. Louis and Dayton are, are prime potential Big East ads. Uh, I, I broached that with one of the, Three bid lead guys who's a Dayton guy, and then they're both guys who graduated from Dayton, and they were they weren't quite as bullish on that. But yeah, this is another season where the team conference struggles and we're a one bid league and it's the tournament winner. I don't think that's I don't think that augurs well for the future for this league, especially with the what's going on around it. You can't have a team winning the conference in the regular season by three games and winning the conference tournament and getting a twelve seed. That's not that's yes. that's that's not good for everybody else. And I saw Dayton's non-conference schedule come out too. And I kind of saw some of the rhetoric in their Twitter sphere and their fans kind of had a similar reaction to VCU's did. I think that they've got quite a few, I don't, I, the term cupcakes is overused, but teams that don't stand out as big resume boosting opportunities on there. And the Dayton fans weren't thrilled about it too. And if you have VCU, Dayton, I, I haven't seen St. Louis's yet, but if those teams don't have a whole lot of opportunities to boost their resume outside of conference, then, then, the, the conference as a whole is going to suffer because you have to have opportunities for those top teams to to you know up the profile and the the net of the conference as a whole. And if those aren't there, then everyone else is going to suffer for it. The the good news, and we did and we detailed this on the last pod. Two of the teams that played the weakest schedules last year and, and used it to their benefit very well. It built really good seasons off of it. Duquesne and Florida, yeah. they both look like they're seriously upgrading their non conference schedules, which yep. is vital. That's vital that they do that. That this has been great. I want to thank you again for coming on and giving us this wonderful update. Talk about all these things that we wanted to talk about because, believe me, this was only going to be the roster. And then I saw those stories that you wrote in the Richmond.com and you know the schedules come out. So we got to cover all these things with you, and I'm very glad we did. Here, Rams rewind. We believe in shameless self promotion. So whatever you want to self promote, go right ahead. George, man, it's it it's an honor to be on. Um, I guess just follow me on Twitter. Y'all all know what my Twitter is, and go read stories that richmond.com um send me story ideas too honestly that was a, my email is up there on my twitter 
that was part of how the Riot Odom's contract story came about is people communicating with me, letting me know what you want me to write about. So uh, I'm going to do the mailbag too that Wayne used to do in Ned. years past um, going into the season here. And so if you have questions that you want me to ask Ryan or Ed or or the staff or anything, please send those on to me. And I'd love to be a, a conduit between the BCU fan base and BCU coaches and administration. Um, I'm a BCU alum and I love my job and I'm honored to be covering um, uh, the team that I, I you know, rooted for and, and covered in college. And so please send me emails with story ideas, follow me. And, and thank you all so much for the support. And George, thank you so much for having me on, man. I always love it. It was great. It was great. That's Rave Rewind for this week. We will be back. Hopefully the next time we're back, we will be back into the newcomers and going through and, and doing some more uh, deep dives into those folks that are coming to this program. Thank you all for listening. Have a good night, everybody. To submit a question for George to answer in an upcoming episode or to inquire about sponsorship opportunities for this podcast, please email ramsrewind at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rams Rewind.